Well, that was the opening music to The Stranger, released in 1946, and it's directed by Orson Welles and stars Edward G. Robinson, Loretta Young, Orson Welles. It was our first movie in our first ever virtual film festival, and that was pretty fun, and we'll be doing more of those in the future. We might just even do a movie here or there, and we can, we'll post about it so people can join us. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net or on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from sunny North Bend today. And uh, I'm Bob Johnson here in Los Angeles where our temperature is heated up quite a bit. We're uh, we're going to have uh, weather in the high 90s today, so our, our cloudy, rainy Seattle weather has gone somewhere else. Welcoming everyone back to Classic Movie Reviews and The Stranger from 1946. A really interesting and, and, and fun movie, and it has a, an interesting release schedule. I just noticed this. It was released uh, in July of 1946. And the two places it was released in first were Los Angeles and Salt Lake City. And I'm not quite sure how, the, I mean, I can kind of see Los Angeles, but, but Salt Lake City, I would think it'd be New York or Chicago or something like that. So there's something there that... Interesting. Yeah, it is. I did want to mention that one of my favorite characters in this film, uh, and not a lead role, but Billy House as Mr. Potter... <laughs> the, yeah. the man who owned the general store and tried never to get out of his seat by the window. And needed to know everybody's business in the town. Oh, too. my. Oh, yeah. oh, did he? Yeah. And he, he was the town uh, gossip. He, yes, he was. I wonder how much accuracy there was in what he said to everybody. Um, but this film was a, was a huge success at the box office. I don't think it was expected when uh, uh, RKO Radio Pictures released it they thought they would be uh, glad if it just broke even but it was Orson Welles kind of probationary trial to 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 see if he could the studio wanted to see if he could make a film on budget and uh, on time because he'd been all over the place when he made Citizen Kane and the Magnificent Ambersons and uh, he set out to prove that he could do that so it was made I think it was a day early and it was under budget. Ah. And no no small factor in it was that he had some financial uh, losses that he would have if, if, it did, if it went over the budget. So it was a big success all the way around. And interesting to watch, I think. Yeah, he's a, he's a really good actor, I think. I mean, he, he did a good job portraying somebody who's hiding out in this town with a past that he's uh cover trying to cover up and and uh some serious issues with anger and well the fact that he was also a member a key member of the third reich that was in charge of those death camps i mean it's like wow the contrast between the setting for the film in this little new england town and and where he came from was uh, shocking yeah, and he was shocking. It wasn't long into the movie when we learned about his true character. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a cool way that it starts because it starts, I think, in South America. Is that right? Or, well, it or starts. Germany? It starts with the International War Crimes Commission. Probably that was being held somewhere in Switzerland or Germany or in Europe somewhere. And then it fast forwards to South America. And they, they were letting somebody go. Like they, they had a prisoner or something and they let him go or they let him escape. And then they start following him because they they know that this guy that they've let go, who is, is that Constantine Shane? Conrad Meineke? Yes, yes, uh-huh. Yeah, Meineke, he... Uh, he was in charge of one of the death camps that was yeah, he, uh, overseen by uh, by uh, uh, Orson Welles' character, Franz yeah, Kindler. Franz Kindler slash Professor Rankin, and so we kind of follow him through South America, and then and then they uh, 
they're following him because they don't know where they know that there's a key member of the third Reich who is has escaped and they're kind of they're basically Nazi hunting and they don't have a picture of the guy and they don't quite know who he is they don't have anything to really go on except that they think that he knows this one guy that they've let go Meineke and so they follow him and the person who's really the lead kind of detective or, or Nazi hunter really is Mr. Wilson played by Edward G. Robinson and so Mr. Wilson follows Meineke all the way to this little, is it Connecticut town? Town in Connecticut? Yeah, I think it's Connecticut because there's a scene in the movie where Meineke's trying to pronounce Connecticut. Yeah, it is, it is Connecticut. Harper, the town of Harper, Connecticut. Yeah, we, we get to uh, a scene on, a, on the bus. I remember there was a scene on the bus and Meineke is like, he, he looks super nervous. Like, I think he knows that he's being followed. Then he gets off the bus and goes in to talk to You're Mr. Right. Potter. Why are you here? This suitcase. I could leave it here. There's a bag of. I don't assume no responsibility. Just put it up on the shelf. It'll be there when you want it. That'll be in time, Mister. What's the best hotel in town? Best place to stay down at Mrs. Peabody's. It's just down the road here, piece. This way, mister. Yes, thank you. And and also on the bus is Mr. Wilson. Um, and he uh, he gets off the bus and he kind of proceeds to tail or track Meineke. And they wind their way around town and end up in the high school gymnasium or the college gymnasium. I'm not sure which one it was. I think it was the college. And Meineke freaks out, loses control, and... Uh, knocks uh, Mr. Wilson out by throwing this large, heavy rope down with a weight on the end that hits him right in the head. I thought that was a really accurate shot. That was a really good shot. Not well, <laughs> one in a one in a thousand. Knocked Wilson, knocked Mr. Wilson on the ground and knocked him out, and then he continued his look for uh, Franz Kinsler, and he finds him. Oh no, he goes to his, goes to his house first. Shows up at the yeah. at the house and and uh, it's their wedding day. That's right. That's right. Rankin is marrying uh, Mary Longstreet Rankin that very day, and and Meineke is just he's in a manic state because he's got to find he's got to find Kinsler, and she doesn't know where he is. Probably at school or at class or whatever or was he was he up at the clock tower or he might he yeah he might have been up in the clock tower he was, that was his because i remember know. i remember we were watching it on through the netflix party and i remember making a comment of like he's he's working on the clock on his wedding day yeah <laughs> <laughs> well he took time out from that to uh, murder uh, meineke which was right, also so, a, a nice touch on your wedding day well mine yeah that oh that's right he yeah he did that too. So he like takes Meineke out for a walk because he's, I think he's totally freaked out that Meineke's there. Oh, yeah. And and he has this look on his face of he's suspicious that Meineke was followed and Meineke, I think he says he was followed, but that he took care of the guy because I think he yes. thought he killed him yes. in the gym there. And that really freaks out. The students of the school are playing a game called Paper Chase, I think. Yes. Which was a real thing. Yeah, it was a good way to litter the uh, forest with with paper. Yeah, it was a weird game. They would run through the forest and drop paper a paper trail, and then they would you'd have to follow them. and And I think that the it was kind of like playing a game of hide and seek almost because you would try to like give them dead ends and and false leads and things. But anyway, we we get the speech by Meineke. Who would think to look for the notorious Franz Kindler? in the sacred precincts of the Harper School, surrounded by the sons of America's first families. And I'll stay hidden till the day when we strike again. France, there will be another war? Of course. War is an abomination, save the Lord. It is to tell you this that I am here. He set me free that I set might you come free. here and tell Who set tell you free? To you. The whole highest. You don't mean 
I'm a new man since I found you. You, Conrad. Religious. Franz, Franz, all doors were open to me. All doors. It was one of God's miracles. They freed you, so you'd lead them to me. Have you been followed? Were you followed here? Yes. Who followed you? The evil one. He looked like any other man. He was, he was dressed like any other man. He even smoked a pipe. But I recognized him through his disguise. And I killed him. Striking from on high down. That's will be done. You killed him, the man with the pipe? The man who followed you? No one else followed you. You must be brought to salvation, Franz. Confess your sins as I have. Proclaim your guilt. Only thus you can attain salvation. You really think so, Conrad? It will take strength. Hmm. Such strength as can come only from God. Kneel by me, friends, and together we will pray to him to give you strength. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am not worthy to be called thy son. Say these words after me. I despair of my sins. I despair of my sins. O oh God of all goodness, how oh God. could I ever have offended thee? Of all goodness. Followed up by a, a great speech by Rankin about how Meineke's saying he's saved and that he's found uh, the Lord and that... that Rankin needs to do the same, and he needs to repent his sins. And as he's, as Rankin is sort of agreeing with him, he's also putting his hands around his neck and then proceeds to choke him to death. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right, right out in the edge of the forest. And he's, he's worried because these, uh, these young students that are doing this paper chase may show up at any time. So he drags, <laughs> so he drags the body off into the, into the uh, heavily brushed area sort of does a makeshift grave covering up Meineke so that he can get back home and get ready for the wedding. Yeah, and he's desperate to uh, not have the kids run by where he just... <clears throat> we didn't even bury the guy. He just covered him up with some leaves and some sticks, and he redirects the paper trail to go a different direction, not by where the body is. And then he goes back to the wedding, and he has to change. And He has to change, and I think there was... I think his uh, fiance played by... Loretta Young says something like, "What? Well, why? Why did you change? Were you in, wearing something different?" <laughs> it was like, "Well, I just..." We were laughing on our side when we were watching and saying, "Well, I just went out into the woods and murdered somebody, so I had to change my pants." <laughs> yeah, what? A, they were a bit dirty. What? What? A, what? What draws me to this film every time I see it is the utter a lack of remorse or guilt at all with uh, with Kinsler's character. He can do all this on his wedding day. Yeah. And act as if nothing happened. And he's able to switch instantly between this murderer and then this sort of kindly, quiet-spoken professor of a small Connecticut town. He's a great actor in that way as as his character. And in in the group of movies that we've been watching recently, some of which we've released and some of them we haven't, uh, in The Day of the Jackal, the assassin, the jackal, has that same ability to completely do things without any remorse, a real sociopath, as was Kinsler. Oh, yeah. Uh, the best example of that is when they were at the chateau with that woman yeah. that he met at the hotel. And 
she mentions that she had talked to the police and then i mean it's instantly like he switches over to the killer and he just murders her strangles her just like kinsler does to to uh manneke yeah that's that's what's brought home in this film and uh it gets more intense as we go along because we find out more about franz kinsler kindler well yeah. we well we find out that mr wilson's not dead and that he um proceeds to confront uh mary longstreet's father who's played by philip merivale and that's judge adam longstreet and he says i need to talk to you your daughter's in danger and i think he also brings in uh, the brother noah longstreet yeah. played by richard long yeah he's a student of rankin and and you can kind of tell that Noah doesn't like the professor that much, and he's not super excited about the fact that he's marrying his sister. And there's a great scene of Mr. Wilson and Noah Longstreet in a rowboat. Mind? Thank you. I'm just not lucky today, that's all. <laughs> Would you like a candy bar? Well, I don't mind if I do. Thank you. Oh. All your folks like fishing? Oh, my dad's great. He always brings in something. Well, what about Charles? Charles? Oh! <laughs> I have to call him Mr. Rankin at school. I get a little mixed up sometimes. <laughs> uh, he spends most of his time on the clock, you know. Why don't you like him, Noah? What do you mean? You don't like your brother-in-law. It's none of my business, but uh, I wish you'd tell me why. Well, I, I like him well enough. I, I don't know any reason why I shouldn't. Don't tell me I'm butting in because I know I am, but I can't help myself. It's my business. I hate bringing you into this, Noah, but you're the only one I can turn to. I need your help very badly. Well, what is it? Your sister may be in great trouble. I know that you're man enough for what I'm going to ask you to do for her. The truth is, I'm not really an antique dealer. I'm a sort of a detective. Well, what do you want me to do, Mr. Wilson? It would help me a lot if I knew every move Charles Rankin made on the day of his wedding, right up to the ceremony. Well, I should be able to... Unless Charles realizes what I'm doing. I'll keep him busy. Gee, Mr. Wilson, you must be wrong. Mary wouldn't fall in love with that kind of a man. I hope I am wrong, Noah, but that's the way it is. People can't help who they fall in love with. And Mr. Wilson says, hey, tell me why Why don't you like the professor? And, and Noah's like, well, what do you mean? He's, he's fine. Yeah, <laughs> he's fine. But you could, even the way he answered that question, you know, he didn't like, like him at all. I wanted to backtrack just a second. When, when uh, Mr. Wilson kind of recovers, he goes to Potter's uh, general store oh, yeah. to, get, yeah. to get some aspirin. And he has to do all of this himself. I mean, yeah, Mr. Potter doesn't get up to gets help up. him at all. I was wondering if he ever got up out of that chair. God. He says that, you know, go ahead and help yourself to the coffee. So he just goes behind the counter and makes his own coffee. And one of the other patrons says, oh, the it's on the left. And it's like, apparently this is a self-serve soda stand. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, man. Anyway, I, I sort I of loved, backtracked. But, but I, loved, I, loved, I loved seeing the old... Uh, soda fountain stand though that was so cool and how everybody's just kind of sitting there chatting and it was sort of like the one shop in town where you could go to get anything that you needed no kidding he had shovels and pharmaceuticals uh what i liked also is that the film was entirely shot on location uh, on, on the studio lot except for a couple of scenes in the forest and that sort of thing but wells and and the production crew did a marvelous job of making it look like a Connecticut Village. I remember asking you that yeah. because the scene of when they arrive in town and you see the you see the town square for the first time, it it looked exactly like the layout of a lot of town squares in. Was it the Warner Brothers back lot? 
Excuse Universal. Universal. I think they both Universal. I think they both have the but the, we've been to the Universal one many times, and I've been to the Warner Brothers one. They've got that same setup. Yeah. Uh, Wilson, Mr. Wilson, is on the on the trail of of Kindler, and he doesn't yet know that Meineke's dead. No, he doesn't know that, but he's definitely disappeared because uh, Mr. Potter says he hasn't come back in a. I guess it's a couple days, or it's it, he hasn't come back to get his uh, suitcase that he left there. And uh, and uh, Mr. Wilson is uh, questioning Loretta Young, and she she denies that Meineke had come to her house to visit him, uh, to visit her, find out where her fiance was. And Wilson is very suspicious of this because he just wonders what happened, and he keeps pursuing things. One of the things I read about the movie is that um, some of the the introduction to the Longstreet family was not left in the film, which would have given us a better idea of who she was and her father was a Supreme Court justice. And uh, we we don't get a lot of that. It kind of some of it comes out in the film, but we we don't know too much about them. But they're well established, and here this Nazi is about to marry into that, what he calls the progressive Supreme Court judge's family, which is frightening. Interesting. Frightening. Yeah, we don't. I, I didn't know he was a Supreme Court judge. I, I just got the sense that he was a pretty powerful person in the town or, or maybe the, the state. But um, you, you, you do, it is, you do get a reveal later, though. Sir Wilson confronts, uh, Mary Longstreet and 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 her father's there as well and, and Mary just denies it and, and runs off and Wilson says that she's conflicted inside he has another Mr. Wilson has some good speeches he's got another one there where he's he's like well we just need to keep an eye on her because now she's she's headed toward a breakdown yeah he's not a Nazi he's not one of those people he's not leave us alone has the facts now, but she won't accept them. They're too horrible for her to acknowledge. Not so much that Rankin could be Kindler, but that she could ever have given her love to such a creature. But we have one ally, her subconscious. It knows what the truth is and is struggling to be heard. Will to truth within your daughter is much too strong to be denied. Look here, Wilson. If he's not Charles Rankin, we should be able to expose him without too much difficulty. I'm not interested in proving that he isn't Charles Rankin. I'm only interested in proving that he's Franz Kindler. How do you propose to do that? Through your daughter. As I'm mistaken, she's headed for a breakdown. That's the usual result of a person being inwardly divided. Rankin will recognize this, and that's what I'm banking on. What do you mean? Well, he can't afford to trust a person approaching hysteria. He won't. He'll have to act. He may try to escape before she collapses, which would only be an admission of guilt. Or... Go on. He may kill her. You're shocked at my cold-bloodedness. Well, that's quite natural. You're a father. And it's because you are a father, Judge Longstreet, that I'm talking to you like this. Naturally, we'll try to prevent murder being done. However, the proof that murder is his aim would be the strongest evidence that your daughter could have. Also, she's in danger because uh, Rankin is is now going to probably see her as a liability and will probably end up trying to kill her. And he's very he's very cold about it. Matter of fact, says, "Well, we'll do our best to prevent it." Yeah, yeah. But there's, there's only so much I can do. And I'm like, "Wow." And meanwhile, uh, Rankin has gone out and done a better job of burying the body. But uh, uh, Loretta Young has a dog, beautiful Irish Setter, that uh, starts digging where the grave is, and that that. Is kind of a foreshadowing of the fact that the dog is going to uh, run uh, into bad times because of Rankin, and sure enough, he does. That Rankin poisons the dog. That was a really tender scene when the son Noah, or the the brother to Loretta Young's Noah, and and Mr. Wilson are talking about the death of the dog, and 
they were walking across the square. That was very well done. Yeah, that that was sad. And then it, what what surprised me, what I didn't expect was that Charles Rankin just admits to it. He just because because Mary confronts him and and he says, "Yeah, I killed him. I killed the dog." I was like, "Whoa, okay." And then he kind of brings her into this plot that he's constructed yeah, he... to try to to try to explain why Mr. Wilson is there. And he says that I'd give something to know what explanation he's making right now. I was a student in Geneva. There was a girl. The night before I was to leave, we went out on the lake together. She told me unless I promised to marry her, she'd never return to Shua. Oh, I thought she was joking. Naturally, but she wasn't. Before I could stop her, she stood up in the boat. Well, I, I dived in after her, but it was too late. She was gone. Only one person knew we were on the lake together. Her brother. He knew I hadn't murdered her, but he, he told me he'd be willing to call it an accident for compensation. I gave him all I had and left Switzerland. As the years went by, I allowed myself to believe that the dead past really was dead. And then, on our wedding day, Mary, he appeared again. Her brother, the little man. I gave him all the money I had in the world. And he went away again. Oh, darling. You should have told me. I've not carried this... this awful thing around by yourself. I think Mary's kind of suspicious of this story, but she wants to believe because she wants to believe that he's a good person and... So she kind of goes along with it. And she doesn't want to make herself believe that she's married to someone that is this much of a sociopath. And Rankin is really good at at lying. There are other scenes mm-hmm. later in the film where he also weaves stories to uh, keep to keep himself free and away from uh, trouble from Mr. Mr. Wilson. Uh, the the thing about this but, film that reflects uh, Orson Welles having seen a lot of his films is the beauty and the use of black and white photography. And he does that deep focus thing where you can see people, like in the drugstore they're talking, but you can see people going by outside. It looks like a real town the way he does it. Yeah. He's just, he was a master at, at uh, laying these things out. Well, and he's he's really good at foreshadowing. Oh. There was a scene where... They're boarding. They're kind of like closing up the shop, and there's a few leaves that are blowing by on the street. And I remember saying to Haley and Noah, and I said, "Oh, I bet there's a storm coming." And you know, it's it's kind of cool to to have that foreshadowed yeah. because you think that the probably the storm is going to coincide with like the big showdown. And and sure enough, there was a big snowstorm that happened, uh, and, and it did coincide with the the showdown. Well, we, the the story progresses, and and uh, Mr. Wilson is trying uh, more and more to to get Mary to uh, wake wake up to the fact that she's married to this this awful person. And the scene where he and uh, Loretta Young's father, the Supreme Court Justice, are watching that film, and then they bring it, yeah. they bring in uh, Mary to watch that. That was the first commercial film at after World War II to show anything related to the death camps. I was reading about that. There'd been some newsreel things, but it had never shown up in a film until this movie was made in 19 and released in 1946. Uh, when I saw this for the first time, that was a very powerful part of the picture. And then the film uh, comes to an end and it starts clicking through the real and it's a kind of a it shows the emotion that she's going through that she, she's really shook up now well i think yeah i think i think i got the order a little wrong because i think it was after this scene that they that uh, edward g robinson has the speech about we have to keep an eye on her now yeah. don't let her out of your sight yeah. she's in danger i think she's he's gonna he's gonna try to murder her and and i i, I thought 
that that scene was so critical to the whole impact of the movie because it really brought home just how evil this guy was and just how terrible the things are were that that went on that he's trying to run away from and that he needs to be caught and brought to justice you know like it, it the the stakes of the film became a lot more real to me once we saw that that footage oh she just she was she was unraveling and they weren't sure just where that was going to head i thought it interesting that her father two or three times in the movie referred to her as sister instead of daughter he he was oh, the interesting. I didn't notice he was that. the father. Well, I've seen the movie probably six seven times. <laughs> there's little there are little nuances in it that I I just every time I watch it I find something new. Uh, and oh, I was going to mention that this is this is out of one of the things I wrote. It's kind of a I mean read. Uh, it's kind of a paraphrase. There was an editor that was hired and given the power to cut the material that he considered extraneous from the script before shooting began. And Wells is quoted as saying, this guy was the great supercutter who believed <laughs> who believed that nothing should be in the movie that did not advance the story. And then Wells went on to say, and since most of the good stuff in my movies doesn't advance the story at all, you can imagine what a nemesis he was to me. Oh my and there gosh. was the part wow. about the long streets that they didn't develop. And then in that South American scene at the beginning... There was a lot more that never made it to the film that was filmed in that South American setting because Wells wanted to do more on the front end of the film to give it more of a nightmarish theme. And if you remember, the lighting in that South American segment was really dark, really, really uh, kind of foreboding. Yeah. But uh, the editor took that out. That was also his downfall as a director. I mean, that's <laughs> yes, probably why he was exactly. put on probation and says, you get you get one more chance, buddy. That's, that's exactly <laughs> right. But they won't let me create the, the, the movie that I want. Of course, it might cost twice as much. But you know. uh, it, I mean, it's hard to fault him for it, though, because you look at what he produced and it's like incredible. But you also look at this movie and you say, well, he could also do this on time and on budget. It's just not maybe itching his creative, you know, desires that he really what of what he really wanted to create yeah, he wanted the perfect film but anyway uh there was a little bit missing about about the family and about the foreboding and the nightmare nature of this film although there's plenty of that in it anyway so so now we get to the part i think this is probably like the third act of the movie where the family and mr wilson are trying to keep her from meeting up with rankin and rankin has this plot yeah. to have her go to the clock tower and he's got this incredibly long and unstable ladder that he has set up and he says that you should meet me upstairs at the clock tower at you know seven o'clock or something like that and she is about to leave the house to go meet him and then the is it the housekeeper uh yes it is the housekeeper is under orders from Mr. Wilson and uh, Mr. Uh, Longstreet to not let her go. Sarah, Martha Wentworth. She has this incredible performance of a panic attack or something. I don't know what it, you would classify it as, but... Going someplace? Where to? Well, I asked you where you was going, Miss Mary. I heard. Well? Sarah, you seem to forget I'm no longer a child. I'm a married woman. Well, you ain't been married very long. Wait, Mrs. Rankin. What is it? I'm in a hurry. Well, you don't need to go biting my head off. What is it, Sarah? Well, I... I don't know. If you've got something to say, say it. What is it, Sarah? I don't know what's got into you lately. Indeed, I don't. You never was mean to me like this back at the old house. Sarah, I... Maybe I've outworn my usefulness. I'm not as young as I used to be. Maybe you don't want me around anymore. For heaven's sake, stop talking such nonsense. Well, it's true, and you know it. I'm going to pack my things and leave here. Indeed, I am. <laughs> Sarah, I'm sorry if I've hurt your feelings. I didn't mean to. Really, I didn't. Sarah. Now, I couldn't get along without you, and you know that, don't you? Well, don't you? Honest, Miss Mary. Yes, honestly. Honestly, Sarah. Oh, Miss Mary. Oh, Miss Mary. 
Sarah. Sarah, please, wait just a minute. Sarah, you'll never leave me, will you? You know how I feel about you, don't you? Yes, I do. It's like it was my own daughter, yes, my I... own little girl. How could I? Sarah, I've got to go now. Really, I do. I've promised to be somewhere. Uh, well, well, where to, Miss Mary? Stop fussing, Sarah. It's a secret. Oh, Miss Mary! Oh! She's able to successfully keep uh, Mary from going out. And then Noah goes instead. And, sh- and she, te- she tells Noah that, you know, I was going to go meet Charles at the clock tower. And she wasn't supposed to say that. Yeah, he, he didn't want any, uh, Rankin didn't want anybody to know that she was coming over because he, he wanted her to fall from the ladder. Well, she can't go. So, so there's sort of a simultaneous plot line here where Mr. Wilson and Noah are headed out to the clock tower and uh, Mary is ev- eventually heading back home. No, Mary... No, Charles shows up at home and Mary's still at home. Yes. And then he freaks out saying, aren't you supposed to be at the clock tower? And she's like, aren't you supposed to be at the clock tower? And then he says, well, who's at the clock tower? <laughs> yes, she says, I sent Noah because I couldn't go. And then Rankin lost it. Man, he, yeah, he totally he lost looked, it. He looked like the devil himself, the look in his face. And then he just smashed that clock. And then he says, well, he's probably dead. And then she, then that's where Mary realizes that, oh, that was supposed to be me. He's trying. He was going to try to kill me. And he... and. Uh, I guess, let's see, I, he goes back to the clock tower. I think he, well, for, now he realizes that he's he's been exposed, so he, he goes to the clock tower. I think he wants to hide out up there so they can't find yeah, him. Yeah, some, somehow he, he, like, runs out. He was going to, he he was going to kill Mary there in the house, I think, but then he gets interrupted because I think uh, he hears them coming back yeah, or something. I, I'm a little bit vague on that, but then he just runs. And now he's on the run, and now Mr. Wilson and and uh, Mary and and Mary's father and Noah are, and the whole town basically is like looking for him, and they're gonna they're gonna put a, a posse together, and they've deputized a bunch of people, and and Mr. <laughs> Guess Potter was at the lead of that. Mr. Potter can't wait. Oh, this is the most excitement we've had in town in years. <laughs> well, uh, just a just a, a sidebar. Mary went to the clock tower by herself with a gun. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and she's gonna kill him. She gets up to the top. No, that's the that's the very isn't that the very end though? Isn't that the very end? Because then there's a showdown between Mr. Wilson and Mary was there, wasn't she? Yeah, she. It started out where Rankin was hiding in the clock tower, and then Mary is there first and gets up yeah. on top and and gonna shoot him, and then. Mr. Wilson shows up, and the townspeople are starting to appear below. I think that's, that's the sequence. Right. And it was, it was funny, because I remember we were saying that, why didn't they check the clock tower first? That's where he was there 90% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It wouldn't have worked if they did. No. And then there's this, this huge discussion, debate, intense scene at the top of the clock tower between... Rankin, Mary, and Mr. Wilson. Don't move. I have a gun. You don't need it. I'm alone. What are you doing here? Lift me up. You're telling the truth? Why should I lie? followed here? I came by our way, through the cemetery. No one saw me. I needed the excuse. I was afraid you wouldn't let me up. 
What do you want? I came to kill you. <laughs> no, no, Mary, it's you that's going to die. You were meant to fall through that ladder. You're going to fall. I don't mind if I take you with me. You are a fool. I searched the woods. I watched them here like God looking into the lands. I'll hide in the woods. They won't search there again. A day or two, they'll be sure I got out of town. When they find me, they'll know you're still here. But darling, you're on the verge of a breakdown. Now you've cracked. Why else would you leave your bed? Climb to an empty church tower in the dead of night. Any child could see you'd wind up killing yourself. Killing is what led you here. It won't help you now. Look out the window. Look! Well, that's, that's an old trick, Mr. Wilson. A very poor trick. Tricks. That's all you know is tricks. I don't need any tricks. And no matter what happens to me, tricks won't do you any good. You're finished, Herr Franz Kindler. And uh, Mary's beside herself. She says, I don't care if you kill me, I'm going to kill you. It's just like she can't, she yeah, can't that believe powerful. that she married this, this awful criminal. And uh, there's a few shots fired. And uh, yep. I think Rankin is wounded. He's wounded and he, and he takes a few steps backwards and kind of goes through like a little barrier out until the front of the clock tower. And, and there's some great, there's another great bit of foreshadowing because they, they show earlier when he get when Rankin gets the clock working in the clock tower that there is a couple of these medieval, oh, medieval yeah. figures that kind of rotate around and one of them has a giant sword. About an eight-foot sword. Yeah, and so you just know that when he is standing out on the face of the clock on the clock tower there that he's going to get stabbed by this giant sword and then, yep, like two seconds later, he, he, that's what kills him. There's some action that speeds up the clock movement of those characters. I forget if he's wounded and he falls into the timing mechanism or what, but it, it starts to move in fast motion. Yeah. And he's out there. Yeah. I think it was poetic justice that he was killed by the clock that he fixed. Yeah. <laughs> and that sword ran right through him. Yeah. Wow. That was a good scene when, well, well done, I, should, I guess I should say. When the, uh, when the uh, Rankin character and the uh, sword statue fall off of the tower down to the ground with all these townspeople around. That was well yeah, done. It looked like a good. real person falling <clears throat> off of there. It did, yeah. It was very believable. And then we get the the new the at the end where uh, it's it's sort of like, okay, we, we got him all as well, you know. <laughs> and then uh, Mr. Potter shows up. And he yeah. says to Mr. Uh, uh, Mary has come down. They got, they've rescued her. But Mr. Wilson's still up in the clock tower. And Potter says, well, aren't you coming down? He said, not till you get a better ladder. There's a little bit of humor there at the end. And then he's yeah, smoking his good. pipe and there's a curl of smoke and the end. It reminded me that it, it made me think of the new Amazon show Hunters, and it's all about these Nazi hunters. Oh, have you watched that? I have not watched that. I haven't watched it yet, but I I, I do want to watch it because I think it looks interesting. With Al Pacino. Yeah. This film, I I never get tired of watching it. I, I like I say, I've probably watched it six times that I can recall. Yeah, I definitely want to watch it again. It was super well done and entertaining and and thought provoking and. I love the cinematography and the music was just perfect as well. Like it just added so much to it. He's such a great director and, and actor as well. I, I, you know, what, what happened? Do you know what happened with him? Cause he just sort of, I feel like he just went off the rails at some point and was he an alcoholic or? Uh, he had a eating disorder oh, okay. and got really uh, put on a lot of weight. And I have a memory of him in the 60s. Here's Orson Welles promoting uh, a wine. I think it was Paul Masson wine. No wine. We make no no wine is. Uh, he has a, a before lot, it's time. Before it's right? time. Make, yeah. Yeah. And then he I made he would make films so he could make enough money to make a film of his own. Oh, okay. Because I remember there was a series. He's there's some 
pretty bad Orson Welles movies later in his life, I feel like, or he was, he acted in some movies where it was just like, why, why, why is he doing this? And I don't know, maybe he's, maybe he's just one of those creative geniuses that's haunted at the same time. You know, it's like, it just burns him out. Yeah, he had, he was obsessed with making his own films, but he had to make other films. So he had money to make them. One of the disasters that he did was he went to Rio for the carnival and one of the studios gave him a budget to do that, and he went down and he filmed oh, thousands of feet of film, but it was never completed because he got swept up in the party. Oh, my gosh. And they finally just cut off the budget, and he had to come back, and that film was never made. But there's a documentary that I watched about him, and they had some footage from from there. But then he would he, then he'd make a really good movie like this. He was all over the place. This was still earlier in his career, though, yeah, right? I mean, yeah, he, uh, let's see, he lived, I don't remember how long, oh, wait a minute, no, I don't have that in front of me, but. Oh, here I have it, he he died in 1985, he was he was 70. Yeah, so this was made 40 years before, so he had a long, a lot of different films, and I remember seeing him showing up in kind of popular films every now and then in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And those were where he made enough money to keep going. Interesting character, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I feel like I, I yeah, I, there's, I, we're not really doing him justice because I'm just looking at his mini bio on IMDb and, and he had a kind of a rough childhood too. So I'm sure that he's a very complex person and there's a lot there, but certainly a genius and did so much with radio. Oh, like the, the, ra- the um, Mercury theater and that and war of the worlds in 1938 yeah that's that was just incredible half the east coast thought they were being invaded (laughs) (laughs) it's that's so amazing to me that that happened like it's just it shows the power of of media you know and and how if you have so much faith in what's what you hear on the radio or tv or the internet and you, you don't question it then you're liable to fall victim to something like this i know and and they had a warning before they did the broadcast that this was make-believe yeah but people would tune in after that you know <laughs> and they're like oh my god yeah it was up op- it was opposite of, i think edgar bergen and charlie mccarthy so when that they people turned over uh, tuned in on it after it started they thought it was real but he he, he made he, another movie that he was in that i really enjoy is the lady from shanghai made a little bit later in the 40s. And uh, it's it's very much an Orson Welles kind of film. The ending takes place in a funhouse at a carnival in San Francisco with all these mirrors. You can't... It's been replicated in other movies. Could, we could do an Orson Welles like, mini-marathon at some point because there's Was certainly it? plenty of movies to watch there. And the ending is, is, is so well done. Yeah, he was very... Very talented. One of the things that he wanted to do with this film, this is my, I've switched from trivia questions to just a trivia item each show. And the trivia item for this show is that early in the production of the film, Wells, uh, being the director, really made a push to have a woman play the part of the International Crimes Commission investigator. He wanted a woman. He thought that would add another dimension to the film. He even he even proposed that Agnes Moorhead, who was very big at the time, uh, could could do this uh, role and and be magnificent in it. But the studio needed to be sure that they got a leading man that they could that would you know ensure more ticket sales. And I was reminded that Agnes Moorhead shows up much later in television. She was the mother of the the witch on bewitched a show that i didn't often watch but anyway i uh, uh i think i go with a uh I'm, I'm back and forth between an eight and a nine um i guess i'd go with a nine i think I've, I've i've learned enough about it that i keep thinking it could have been just a tad bit more involved in the family of the Longstreets in the front end of the film, setting the mood. So yeah, I go with I would go with a nine. How about you? Yeah, I think yeah I was gonna say an, an eight or a nine as well. I think um, there wasn't enough 
of the of the um, development of of her character i thought um mary's character to to really give me a, a even greater sense of like fear and and anxiety at the end when she was in so much danger and i think it it without having known that there were other scenes that got cut that would have done some of that work i think it, yeah it could have been a 10 i think if they had spent just an i mean just a few more minutes it wouldn't have have to be like a lot but um but yeah it was an excellent movie i definitely was glad that we watched it for our virtual film festival very good film and when it came out it, it got really a mixed bag of reviews i was just looking at a, a uh, when it came out, Variety called the film a socko melodrama spinning an intriguing web of thrills and chills. Director Orson Welles gives the production a fast, suspenseful development, drawing every advantage from the hard-hitting script. And it goes on. It sounds like something somebody paid for, <laughs> like an pretty- ad. A <laughs> socko. <laughs> <laughs> You don't, don't usually see that. Anyway, a good film. I'm glad we did it. All right. And coming to you from North Bend, it's Matt Johnson. And Bob Johnson in Los Angeles wishing everybody happy movie watching. Mm-hmm.